When I was 16, I went to visit my grandpa's birthplace. He was born in a rural area in a southern U.S. state. He had passed away the year before, and my parents and younger brother agreed that we wanted to camp out there for a few days as a way to honor him and feel closer to him. He always talked about how much he missed the scenery, and how he really longed to go back to simple living instead of being stuck in the city. We were only camping for two nights, then we were driving back home. So when we arrived, we had parked our car and set up our camp near the car. It was just us in the area from what I could see, and it really was so peaceful. That first evening, my little brother and I had asked our parents if me and him could explore. My little brother was 14. There was a trail that led to a stream, and my granddad often told us about it. My parents refused to let us go alone, and my brother started to complain about that. I told him to stop being a brat because I actually understood why our parents didn't want to split up. However, my dad had said as long as my mom went with us, he would be fine staying at the camp on his own. His phone had a weak signal, and he said he would be fine since he had the car with him and that no one was around. If we got lost, he could call or drive for help. My mom hesitantly agreed, and we set off to find the stream. We knew it was about a 10 minute walk because my parents had studied a map of the area for the past few months. And like I said, my grandpa had talked about this place regularly when he was still with us. We got to the stream with no issues and my mom snapped a photo of my brother and I. My grandpa was her father, so she was pretty emotional seeing this place that had really once been so special to him. I think my brother had felt bad because he patted her on the back and he said that he was glad we came. We didn't stay too long because we didn't want to leave my dad on his own and we didn't want him worrying about us either or thinking that we needed help in leaving. So we then set back to camp. We had been walking for about two minutes when suddenly I had heard my dad calling for us. I'm going to be using a fake name for my mother for privacy reasons but he was calling out my mom's name. We'll call her Pamela. I had turned to look at my mom, and she clearly heard it too, because she looked just as puzzled as I was. I was walking in the middle with my mom and brother on either side of me. My brother stopped dead in his tracks, eyes wide. Why is dad shouting at us? I asked both of them. My mom and I stopped walking because my brother had. He looked uncomfortable, and he then stared at us with fearful eyes before saying, I'm pretty sure that we're too far away to hear dad. I had felt uneasy, because I then figured he was right. I mean, we had been walking for less than five minutes. Yeah, the walk was short, but surely Sal can't travel that far. I mean, can it? As if on cue, we heard my dad yelling once again. My mom told us to start walking. So we did, considerably quicker than we had been before. Looking back, it was hard to tell where the sound was coming from, but I thought it was my dad, so I assumed it was just straight ahead. When my dad finally came into sight, he was just sitting writing in his journal. He had heard us coming, and then waved, and we rushed over. My mom had asked him if he was alright, and my dad thought that she had been worried about him and he then told us of course he's fine, 
that we weren't even gone half an hour. Our faces must have told him that something was off because he had then asked us if something was wrong. My brother piped up and then had told my dad that we had been hearing him shouting, even though we shouldn't have been able to. My dad just looked confused and he told us that he hadn't been shouting for my mom at all or any of us. He claimed that when we were out of sight, he had just been organizing our sleeping bags and had decided to take the alone time as an excuse to write. My dad likes to keep lists, and he really enjoys journaling in general, so he takes a notebook everywhere with him. I felt uneasy, and I just stayed quiet, as my mom told him about how we had been hearing him calling for her, and it was definitely his voice. My mom thought that my dad was playing some kind of prank on us, but he seemed genuinely confused, and he isn't the prankster type at all. I told my dad that I'd heard it too, but again, he insisted that he hadn't called for us. He pointed out that my brother was right, that even if he had called for us, if we really were at the distance from where we were, we shouldn't have been able to hear him anyway. That was why he didn't want us kids wandering off on our own, in case we did get lost without one of them present. I suddenly wasn't so keen to be camping in this forest anymore, but my mom reasoned that we were probably just imagining things. However, my brother and I weren't so sure. Later that night, we had shared one giant tent. I couldn't sleep, and I ended up whispering to my brother to ask if he was awake too. He was, and we actually took my dad's notebook and communicated with each other by writing on a piece of paper under a blanket which we had brought for extra warmth, you know, as to not disturb my parents. We talked about the incident over two pages of paper, and my brother agreed that we definitely weren't imagining it. How could all three of us have heard it too? And twice. My brother eventually fell asleep huddled up next to me, but I still couldn't sleep soundly. I ended up taking a nap the next day, and on the second night I couldn't sleep well either. Nothing else really happened on the trip, and when we got home, my parents didn't even mention it again. I'm now 21, and on the nights that I can't sleep, I'll still often think about what we heard in the forest that afternoon, and it still really bothers me deeply. To have heard my dad calling my mom when he was so adamant that he didn't, well, it just really creeps me out. The forest wasn't dark. Our minds couldn't have been playing tricks on us, and certainly not all three of us. I'll always wonder who or what mimicked my dad's voice in the forest that day. Yet sometimes, most of the time, I really think I'm better off not knowing. I've started walking in the mornings over the past few years. I've lost over 200 pounds and I'm just trying to tone things up now. I get my sister-in-law to walk with me sometimes as I'm a good influence on her, and I tend to be her safe place. On our walk during the morning of Sunday, August 6th, 2023, instead of walking through the sand dunes and on the rocks, I decided let's just walk straight today. We walked the two miles on the bike path, and things were normal. We made it about a mile from my house, still in the middle of nowhere though and we started hearing rocks being tossed or kicked up on the train tracks. I joked around that it was a skinwalker, and she says with our luck it probably is. 
We just laughed and continued walking. That's when we heard the incoherent yelling. We kept listening. Whoever it was didn't sound like they were of sound mind. I told her that we're both CNAs and we have medical background. And I told her that I can't in good consciousness keep going when I know there's freight and metros coming through here constantly. She then put her head down and told me to come on. We then walked into the clearing and up onto the tracks. Of course, there was an older gentleman up on the tracks looking to be distressed, and I'm going to guess that he was some sort of downer. He was hooting and hollering to himself, bending over at times banging rocks. Well, I walked up to him and then said, Hey sweetie, what's going on? There's going to be a metro coming through in about 10 minutes, hun, and we don't want you to get hurt. It didn't seem to phase him, and he just kept walking. That's what my sister-in-law then said. Oh hell no, I'm not doing this. I'm calling 911. I got that his name was Ray, and I had introduced us to him, and I let him know that I'm Becca, and that's Gina. Gina was on the phone relaying the information to dispatch, and I then called non-emergency for the village we were in, thinking it may be quicker. That's when we then heard the sounds of the train horns. Ray's doing his thing in his own little world, and I'm watching and relaying the stuff, when the dispatcher then asks if that's a train. I can't really remember what I had said, but I knew the Metro was flying down the tracks, then in the next minute, we were flying through the air shoving Ray off the tracks. The poor guy was so startled, asking what the hell we were doing. I kinda yelled, telling Ray that he almost got hit by the Metra. Gina's getting up out of the bushes swearing and calling 911 back. She tells them it's been 20 minutes and we just pushed this guy off the tracks, that she's tired and she doesn't want to deal with this anymore. They told her to just stand by the street and flag the cop down. She went down to the road and I had stayed behind, just following Ray, making sure he's okay until the police arrive. The dispatch calls me back saying that they're not sure where we are, but that Metro called about people on the tracks. I gave the best info that I could on our location as Gina finally flagged down one of the police officers. I was trying to convince Mr. Ray to maybe get on the opposite side of the tracks or let me walk him somewhere. I don't think he was comprehending what was happening to be honest, and in my horror, the northbound Metro was now coming back. Ray had started walking kind of fast this time, but he definitely wasn't faster than the Metra. I had to run at the poor man again and then tackle him out of the way again. The police and Gina were now walking back up to us and had seen the entire thing. The train was so close that it sucked my hair back. Ray's black and red flannel shirt was sucked halfway off his body and his red shirt tore. His face was black and blue. Ray then looked up at me then saying, What the hell are you doing, girl? I need a cigarette. I may have had two or three teardrops escape my eye as I just looked at him laughing. I told him that he was a nice guy and that he really needs to stay off the tracks, as I then helped him get his belongings that flew all over the place. I also got him his cigarettes and helped him light one. The police took our names and numbers. The second cop looked at us, and he said we were good to go, and he specifically looked at me and told me not to play a hero next time. I just looked at him and smiled, 
and went on my way. I touched Ray's hand and then said, Yeah, I'm sorry we meant like this, but please take care of yourself. We then walked down off the tracks. Gina looked like she was going to bawl at this point. I hugged her, letting her know she was safe now and okay, and that I was sorry I scared her. This really could have ended so badly for both of us, and I'm extremely grateful that it didn't. I still to this day don't know what the hell Ray was trying to do on those tracks. Whether he just didn't realize what was going on or if he was actually trying to commit suicide or something. Both me and Gina were pretty bruised up and sore, but we can heal from that. I don't know if Mr. Ray ever got the help he needed, but we did see him getting into the back of the police car. I probably won't come across this gentleman again, but I really do hope he gets the help he needs and stay safe. Remember, it only takes five seconds to be a decent person. When I was about seven or eight, my family had moved. My parents had found this great rental property about 45 minutes to about an hour from my school at the time. The rental was in a quiet neighborhood in the woods with a lake, which was just a two-minute walk away. It was the perfect house for my family of five. But if only we knew the true horrors that would occur in such a small amount of time after moving in. I think one of the first red flags that went off for me was that the part that we rented out was the main floor of the house. The basement that connected to our main entrance stairs was locked from the inside, and it was off limits. The only way someone could open our basement door was by going through the garage, which was also locked and our landlord didn't want us going through there either. I remember my parents talking about how that was really strange of our landlord to do, but we just kind of brushed it off. Also, for reference, our landlord will be referred to as Derek, but other than the blocked off parts of the rental, everything else was pretty normal for about two months. Slowly over time, I could tell that my mom was becoming more anxious, she seemed to become more jumpy and more alert. I remember random conversations that my mom would whisper about to my dad. I don't really remember exactly what was said, but I do remember that it had something to do with my mom hearing weird things at night, almost like someone was walking around while everyone else was sleeping. After hearing that, I became a little paranoid, and I began to put things in front of my door at night so that I could hear if someone came in. My mom had mentioned this to Derek, and he had just brushed it off as my mom being paranoid because of our recent move, but I'm not sure that my mom was totally convinced. After my mom had talked to Derek, she had heard no more sounds at night for about a month. I remember the next time something scary happened like it was yesterday. My siblings and I shared a room, and we collectively put on our pajamas to get ready for bed. It was a Friday so we had been a little up later than normal. I'd crawled into my bed, and I turned on my nightlight that sat on my bedside table. My sister and I had the same nightlight. It was a little ladybug nightlight that sat on our charger, which looked like a leaf. This will be an important detail here in a minute. I was almost completely asleep when I shot up in my bed. When I turned to put on my glasses, I had realized my siblings were awoken too. We had heard my mother scream 
and there was the sound of commotion coming from the end of the hallway that connects to the bedrooms to the living rooms. I then ran to the door and slowly opened it. I looked in the direction of all the noise, and I saw my mom running down the stairs towards our main entrance yelling to someone. My siblings and I ran to her side to see who it was. My father was running down the driveway like a madman. He stopped at the end of our driveway and then ran back to us, asking for a flashlight. My sister ran to our room grabbing our ladybug nightlight, which was also a flashlight. My dad then took it from her, and then ran back down the driveway, and now even farther into the darkness. We had sat on our porch stairs for about two minutes, until we then saw my dad walking back to our house. In those two minutes, my mom had told us that her and my dad were talking in their room, when they had heard noises that sounded like someone was walking through the house. My dad had quietly gotten up, turned off their bedroom light, and then walked out trying to finally see what was making those weird noises. Well, apparently my dad had found our landlord Derek creeping back down the stairs that connected to the now open basement door. My dad had then yelled at Derek, which startled him, making him yell as well, as he then ran down towards the basement to which my father chased after him. My mom then heard all of the commotion and then ran out of the room and then saw through our window that my dad was chasing Derek, which caused her to yell. The police showed up 30 minutes later. We had all went back inside the house while my dad had stayed outside to explain everything that happened. My landlord had called them and he said that my dad was chasing him with a gun. The police saw right through his bullshit and they basically left Derek with a warning, and they told him to leave our place. We had then watched Derek drive away, and the police right after him. The rest of the night, we were pretty shaken up, but we all fell asleep. You really think that we would have left after all that happened, but we didn't. About a month later, everything went back to normal. I remember my siblings and I all getting ready for the bus to get us and take us to school, but I wasn't feeling so good. So I had waved my siblings goodbye while sitting on the stairs to the main entrance. I began sitting there every day for about a week after the last incident, which now looking back on it was really weird because of what had happened. Every day I was getting worse and I felt so weak. I had missed about three or four days of school at this point. My siblings were just about to arrive home from school when my mom pointed out that the house had started to smell like propane. Quickly over the next hour, that strange propane smell became worse and worse. My dad hadn't been home all day, so my mom had tried calling him to let him know about the propane smell and to ask him if he had smelled it too before he had left that morning, but he didn't answer. What happened next was a blur, but the next thing I remember was sitting out in the car in the driveway. There were firemen and fire trucks lining most of the street. Basically what happened was that my mom had continued to look for the source of the propane smell, and she had began to realize that it was coming from our basement. She called the fire department because she couldn't get in because of the lock Derek still kept on it. Well, the firemen had found a way to get through the garage once they arrived, and they told my mom that it was apparent that someone had leaked the propane purposefully. Derek had been arrested once they had found him at his house in the town over. We very obviously eventually moved from that place, and somehow my mom had managed to get in contact with Derek's ex-wife. 
Apparently, he had a history of severe mental illness, which had led to her getting a restraining order against Derek for her and their children. There were many other weird things that we had also learned about Derek after moving out of that rental. I now take this as a life lesson to always do some sort of background check on any stranger in your life, especially your landlords. Be safe, everyone. You never know what can happen in a place you call home. So this happened to me when I was 13 years old and living in the country and three hours away from the nearest city. My family and I had owned a lot of land, meaning that I have a lot of different trails to jog just in the forest behind my house. So I woke up at 6 a.m. and decided I would go for a jog. I then put on shorts, a sweater, and some shoes. Once getting outside, I decided on a trail that went about one kilometer from my house in the woods and goes in a big circle, the circle equaling about four kilometers from where I started. So when leaving the house, I plugged in my headphones and began to start walking the one kilometer to where I would start my jog. While walking to the start, I began to get this weird sensation as if I was being watched but I just shook it off to me being paranoid, as it was still dark out. While about two kilometers into my jog, I had started to feel that same feeling, but worse than ever at this point, and I then stopped and looked around. While looking behind me, my heart dropped, and I saw someone about 30 feet behind me. Keep in mind our house is far out from any others, so it couldn't have been a neighbor or a hunter. As I realized it was a man, I tried to keep calm, and it seemed like he hadn't noticed that I noticed him, so I just kept on jogging, picking up the pace. I couldn't have just turned back because I was kind of far, and I would have to risk him getting to me as he was close to the trail. As I ran for a minute, I looked back and saw him. Not him standing there anymore, but he was now running full speed towards my direction. I was now able to get a better look at him. He was wearing black clothing with rips all over it. And then I saw his face. His face was the first thing I noticed about him. His face was strange looking and kind of deformed. It was abnormally pushed down resembling a football. And his eyes were wide open and he was just smiling. He was at least six foot two, whereas I was only about five foot four at the time. So once I seen him running at me, I just booked it, not on the trail, but into the woods. He was definitely a lot more faster than I was, so I knew he would get to me if I had run on the trail. Turning left into the woods, I would go directly back to the start. So as I was running, I was hearing him only a few feet away from me. The only thing slowing him down was the fact that the branches were so low. So as I got closer to the middle, of course, like a horror movie cliche, I tripped on a root causing me to fall on my stomach. That's when I then turned around and looked at him, and I saw him smiling at me. I felt as if I were about to die at that very moment, but it's some miracle. I had a pocket knife in my back pocket. So without even thinking, I pulled it out and then stabbed him right in his leg. I then got back up and started running. The man's still running after me, but I didn't manage to get away. Once I got home, I came into the house, and it was about 6.30 at this point. 
I then ran to my parents' room telling them everything that happened. We called the police and they did come out, but they never managed to find the man out in the woods. Just thinking about this still gives me bad memories to this day. So yeah, everyone, maybe avoid early morning or late night walks in the woods. I really don't think it's worth it. About 10 years ago, I was living in California and working as a home health nurse, meaning that I would visit patients in their homes after they were discharged from the hospital to perform follow-up care, such as wound care and teaching. One day, I was assigned to a new patient. He lived pretty far up, so I knew that it would be a drive. His char wasn't quite complete, as he was new, and it just simply said wound care for multiple laceration, which are pretty much just cuts, basically. So I called him that morning, and I headed up at the time that I had made the appointment with him. I drove and drove. The roads became small, then turned to gravel. I had been up that direction before. There was a lot of shady people and pot growers there, and the area was really isolated. I then finally arrived at his little trailer at the end of a long dirt road. It really was out in the middle of nowhere. I went inside and took his vitals, and I noticed that he was head to toe in bandages. His arms, legs, and his face had cuts. He was a total mess. I began to remove his clothes and then cleaned his wounds to rewrap. I started chatting with him and I'd asked him what had happened. I assumed that he had been in some kind of farming or heavy equipment accident or maybe even a car wreck. Well, as it turns out, he said he was attacked by a man with a machete. So I asked more about it and this is what he told me. Yeah, I was sleeping with this one girl and her husband didn't really like that. So he came over and threw me down in the driveway and then started chopping me with the machete. As you can all imagine, I was horrified by this. Then the man said, yeah, he pretty much only stopped when he thought I was dead. I was very nervous at this point. He said it happened right here at his house. I then asked, okay, so is the guy locked up? He left you for dead, you say? To which the guy replied back with, No, he was able to make bail. He's out. Right about then, I had heard a car pulling in, and I peeked out the window. A blonde girl was parked right behind me, blocking me in, and then began trotting towards the house. Um, is that the girl the fight was over? I said. Oh, yeah. She's coming to check on me. He said. So at this point, I'm now thinking, okay, I'm miles back in the woods and my car is blocked in. I'm with this assault victim and his lover. The angry husband's on the loose and could return at any moment to finish the job. In my mind, I'm picturing the husband following and pulling in right behind the girl. I can literally see the headlines now. Home health nurse and two others macheted to death in the mountains. You can bet that I've never done a faster dressing change in my life, as I then called my boss and told him not to send any other nurses there, as it's very unsafe. I did eventually leave there safely, thank God, and to the machete man, I honestly don't blame you for doing what you did, but I'm really glad I never encountered you.
everyone, I hope you all enjoyed these stories. If you ever want to submit your own, you can do so at southerncannibal.com. Have a good night, everyone. And remember, to always...